0: The history of Rocky Horror is a history of cinema.
1: For everything you like about Rocky Horror, there was at least one film that inspired it.
0: And we're going to review them all on... Episode Zero! And welcome back to Episode Zero The Rocky Horror Picture Show podcast Where we don't really talk about the Rocky Horror Picture Show ah! My name is William Bibbiani I am a critic, everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold, I too am a critic I don't have a cute nickname Okay, And uh, every single week here at Episode Zero We look at the prehistory of a beloved pop culture phenomenon You might recall that our first 20 episodes Were all about the films that inspired Star Wars And now... We're looking at the films that inspired the Rocky Horror Picture Show, one of the most enduring and beloved and odd and kinky and catchy movie musicals
1: ever made. Yeah. Uh, Now, there were more sequels to Star Wars. Uh, True. There There was was only one sequel to Rocky Horror. uh, Shock Treatment, a bad movie, great music, though. Amazing Uh, music, not a very good film. We'll probably talk a little bit about Shock Treatment, but we're here to we're still early in the episode Mm -hmm. zero cycle on Rocky horror. So we're still on the first film. Yeah. Uh, There's no uh, Lego Rocky horror holiday (laughs) special. uh, At least not yet. Well, uh, 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 Disney did buy it. So hold on. on. There was a TV. There was a TV remake. There, there was okay. There was a TV
0: remake, and there was also a Rocky Horror episode of Glee, the Rocky Horror Glee show, which we will not be reviewing.
1: No, because I saw that episode, and it wasn't good. The premiere of that episode was held at the theater where I worked, that showed the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and they asked the cast mm-hmm. to enact things before the premiere.
0: Were they, only, were they
1: asked to reenact the scenes from Glee, or only the scenes from Rocky Horror? Just a few, like a few choice, like pre-selected scenes from Rocky Horror. See, I
0: think it would have been funny to do a shadow cast of Glee.
1: Well, they would have just had Glee. to. They would have had to oh, just like an episode of
0: Glee. Why not? That'd be hilarious.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of really weird and
0: hilarious episodes of Glee. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes but, uh, intentionally. Sometimes here's the not. thing:
1: the Rocky Horror Picture Show is rated R. It's, it's it's kinky and sexy. It's got a few f words in it, uh, but Fox said this is like a younger TV audience, so you can't say any dirty stuff. Right. That so, was uh, the plot point in that episode of Glee. Yeah, like that's they couldn't a, say the word transsexual on, yeah. in in the episode because that was actually like a Fox decree. Well, and it was a plot point
0: in the episode where, mm-hmm. listen, someone said, hey, let's do Rocky Horror at high school. And everyone's like, that's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to censor the hell out of that. And so they did. Yeah. And that was the plot of the episode.
1: But uh, in the live event, uh, the Rocky Horror cast took it upon themselves to replace the F word with Fox. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's right. Like we're going to say a few de- dirty words, like fox, and uh, yeah, that, that that one got a good uh, subversive round of applause. That's nice. Um, but uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show didn't emerge from out of nowhere. Luca, get off the counter. <laughs> it emerged from Luca. He went back in time and created it. His real he, name is Richard O'Brien. He uh, he He's full of beans today. I don't um. know. He might interrupt
0: us more times. Uh, But yeah, The Rocker Breaker Show didn't stem from out of nowhere. We've already covered uh, some of the influential films on Rocky Horror, including The Old Dark House Mm. and Scorpio Rising. And today we're talking about a film that is really well remembered, Mm. really well known, very groundbreaking in its use of visual effects, very groundbreaking in its plotting, very groundbreaking in its music. And you know what? I just kind of love Forbidden Planet. Well, Dr. Morbius, my orders are to survey the situation on Altair Four. Commander, if you sat down on this planet, I warn you that I cannot be answerable for the safety of your ship or your crew. When you reach the Forbidden Planet, you will meet Dr. Morbius, played by Walter Pigeon. The doctor is sole owner of this fabulous world. Anne Francis is his alluring daughter, Alta, who has never seen a young man till she meets Commander Adams, played by talented Leslie Nielsen. Come on in. not bring my bathing suit. What's a bathing suit? <laughs> oh, murder. You will meet a charming character in The Robot, able to produce on order 10 tons of lead or a slinky evening gown, always at your service.
1: You must be the loveliest, softest thing you've ever made for me and fit in all the right places, with lots and lots of star sapphires.
0: Stars, sapphires, take a week to crystallize properly. Would diamonds, or emeralds, too.
1: Anne Francis stars in, ooh, ooh, mm. ooh, Forbidden <laughs> Planet. Um, the opening number for, for the Rocky Horror Picture Show name checks a lot of old science fiction movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Tarantula, uh, Leo G. Carroll. Uh, Dr. Dave, X. Dr. X, Day of the Triffids. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we'll talk about, we'll quite, t- we're not going to do all of those. No, but we're going to talk no, about no, no. quite a few of them eventually. Uh, but Forbidden Planet is mentioned in the chorus and Forbidden Planet it was a powerhouse of science fiction when it came out in the mid-50s. Uh, it was... And Star Trek is all over this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about... Uh, a, not a near future, just the future where yeah. uh, Look, the 20... faster than light travel has been discovered.
0: It's actually it's actually really noteworthy at the beginning of the movie in order to sort of set the stage because mm. there weren't a lot of sci fi movies like this that were taking place entirely in outer space. There wasn't a single scene set on Earth, um, and it was about a sort of a military sort of approach to space travel, which would mm. become commonly accepted in films like or TV shows
1: like Star Trek. But at the time, it was really novel. Yeah. So they had to set the stage. And this idea that, that space travel would essentially be run by the space navy. Yeah. And one of the things
0: I love at the beginning, and I actually forgot about this until I rewatched it for this podcast. Mm. This movie presupposes that mankind didn't like go to the moon until the late 21st century. So many sci-fi stories, movies, comic books So many of them postulated that by the year 2001 or sooner We would have colonies on the moon and flying cars And Forbidden Planet was just like I don't have a lot of faith in humanity Late 21st century maybe Because the movie doesn't even take place then The movie takes place like 100 years after that
1: yeah, they they sort of lead the whole thing. It's like we had all this space travel for about a century we had space travel, then we unlocked faster than light travel and mm. now we can go to other planets. So this
0: is not right around the corner. Mm. They said this isn't even like trying to be contemporarily relevant in its politics. It's so far removed from where we were mm. that it takes on like this new like fable-like quality, which is something that we almost did this movie for Star Wars as well. Uh, It's something that's almost like Star Wars. It's so far removed from where we are now that it becomes just this larger-than-life fairy
1: tale. But the characters are straight out of Star Trek. They're not archetypes in the same way they are in something like Star Wars. Uh, These are, in fact, this is a conceit that has always, uh, maybe not rubbed me the wrong way, but something I've noted when I watch a lot of these older science fiction movies is that it's the distant future. It's being run by the Space Navy. If you're running a spacecraft, you'd think there would be, like, capable, technically-minded people. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's just a bunch of, like, sailor meatheads who are running this ship. Well, they're, they're just... It's usually a bunch of, like, square white men. Yeah. If, if there's anybody who's not a white dude, it's like there's only one character of, of that description. Mm-hmm. And... The men in question behave like 20th century sailors on shore leave. Like they're, mm-hmm. co- they're cooped up on a submarine together. Mm. They
0: haven't seen, they haven't seen like another human being, let alone in over
1: in like a year and a half,
0: let alone a woman. So mm. when in, in the course of the film They land on the Quote unquote Forbidden planet yeah. And they see For the first time In well over a year The first woman They all start Like making Like Jerry Lewis noises yeah. Like it's, 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 <laughs> Those are Charlie Callas oh are Charlie yeah. Callas Like, yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> it's They are all just <laughs> bet, yeah, This is yeah. a movie That is probably Best remembered For it's incredible Production design Matte paintings mm. Visual effects uh, Sort of uh, uh, The music especially Music yeah. is incredible. Uh, this incredibly fanciful and imaginative storyline, and it's really, really interesting and important. I think to watch this movie through the lens of Rocky Horror Picture Show because this movie is also incredibly horny.
1: Yeah, that well, that's and I, that's like kind of the there are two things that sort of centrally informed Rocky Horror. That's that there's that horniness. Yeah, about these guys who get off their ship and they see Anne Francis in like the teeniest miniskirt. So it's just. Mm-hmm. And she's uh, also, uh, she's never met another man. So mm-hmm. she's, she's only known her father and a robot. So she's used to just sort of flouncing about in next to nothing because the robot and her father don't care and they haven't taught her otherwise. Like, mm-hmm. you have to be modest and cover up. No, that's not part of what she understands. So yeah, all of these guys are just like chewing on their own lips to, mm-hmm. to get to Anne Francis. And like
0: the first thing they do is betray each other. Folks, for the record, here's the plot. And it's real simple. Mm-hmm. Guys on spaceship. Guys are supposed to go to this planet. No one's supposed to be on this planet. They find a guy on this planet with his daughter and, again, a really, really impressive robot. They land on the planet. Guy's keeping secrets. Girl makes all the guys horny. They're all attacked by a monster. Secrets are revealed. That's kind of it in a nutshell. (laughs) We'll go into more detail, (laughs) but that's your baseline in case you haven't seen it or haven't mm -hmm. seen it in a long time.
1: Yeah, so there's all that horniness that's sort of floating through this science fiction story. And we watch it in the modern age and we say, wait a minute, this is just like you know, a few tweaks. This is a porn movie. Yeah. Uh, Or uh, they're just all of the libidinal underpinnings of this movie are really kind of brought to the fore to a modern eye. We're Mm -hmm. keying into that a lot more uh, keenly. I think the original filmmakers weren't hiding anything. I think in this case, they were a little ignorant. They -hmm. thought this is the way guys would just behave because it's being made by a bunch of white guys. Mm -hmm. So, they're making a, a film about how horny they are without really understanding that they're m- very explicitly making a film about how horny they are.
0: Well, the movie is very explicitly about overcoming the base nature within us and mm. how that might be a fool's errand, and how mm. as human beings, we might simply, no matter how noble, no matter how hard, no, no matter how noble we think we are, no matter how hard we might try, mm. deep down in our core, we're libidinous. We're violent We're petty We're We're, vengeful Yep, we're jealous We are flawed creatures No matter how far into the future we go No matter how technologically advanced we are Our human frailties will follow us into the stars Which is... A thoughtful thing to talk mm-hmm. about, and they okay. found a very horny way to do that, mm-hmm. and
1: so I'll, I'll, kind yeah, of bless them for that. I guess. But uh, <laughs> but because of of that ignorance that they're they're making yeah. this this film, which is about you know the darkness within humanity, and this you know special effects spectacular. Because that horniness is sort of percolating right there, just barely under the surface, if not just right on top of, of it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You can look at something like the Rocky Horror Picture Show and understand that. There is this very strong correlation between being incredibly libidinal and classical science fiction stories. Oh, and, that, and that's 100% that mm. opening song in Rocky Horror is calling
0: out all of these science fiction films, which, you know, nowadays, a lot of them are considered relatively obscure. At the time, there was a decent chance you'd seen at least a couple of those on late night TV.
1: Yeah, those movies were le- twenty years old or less when the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, came
0: there out. a couple of them were older than that, but mostly they mm. were like relatively recent. You might remember them coming out. You've probably seen them, like Vampira hosting them on TV. Mm. There's a really decent chance you're at least passingly familiar with with these films. And what Rocky Horror was doing was taking all the stuff that if the original filmmakers thought about it at all and a lot of these were b or even z grade movies where they <laughs> were just yeah. they were just churning them out thought it would make a quick buck probably not putting as much thought into it as say Last year at Marion Bad Like they're, they're, they're just kind of making a fun film And if there's subtext It's literally probably subconscious Or it's just intentional And they're trying to sort of capitalize On people's desires to see monsters And sexy people um, However they couldn't just come out and say We have
1: sexy people Unless you were Russ Meyer But if you were right. Russ Meyer We had sexy people oh, Could you imagine if Russ Meyer tried to make a sci-fi movie That would have been awesome Yes, yes, it would have. Like, it would have looked like one of those corny old Corman movies with a lot yeah. of, like, tinfoil outfits. But, you know, Tora Satana is there, like, beating up a- horny alien dudes. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd have been awesome. Um, but, where was
0: where where was, where was was I going with it? But, like, Rocky Horror was going to take all of that stuff that either was subtext or was just sort of, we didn't talk about it, but we all know was the reason why it was there. And they're not just going to talk about it. They're going to sing about it. Mm. We're taking all of the sci-fi history that we've got, And we're only talking about how horny it was. And Forbidden Planet, for many years, when people talked about Forbidden Planet to me in film school, uh, when they were talking about it on Turner Classic Movies, they always talked about the visual effects, which we will talk about. They always talked about the score, which we will talk about. Mm. They always talked about how this is Leslie Nielsen before it was funny, which... Yeah. That was actually most of his career. Yeah, yeah. about about, th- well, it ended up being about half and half. I guess so, because
1: he lived so long. He lived <laughs> yeah. to be like 94 or something. Yeah, yeah, but
0: like, but like, seriously, like the first 25, 30 years of Leslie Nielsen's career, he was not a comedian. He was just doing serious
1: movie roles.
0: Mm. Uh, so the, the he plays re- the
1: Captain Kirk here. The, the reason he was such a good comedian was because he was so good at deadpan. He was against type in Airplane. Yeah. When
0: they cast him in Airplane, it was funny that Leslie Nielsen was funny. Hmm. And nowadays
1: we just look at it and go, Leslie Nielsen is funny. Like, can you imagine if they did like a, a really broad reality bending slapstick spoof like Airplane in the Modern Day and the Doctor were played by Daniel Day-Lewis? Yeah,
0: that would be inherently yeah. funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting how many times they do that now and then those people end up going down a path of doing mostly comedies. Like, I remember yeah. when, like, I don't, I don't remember if it was Step Brothers that did it first or if it was Talladega Nights that did it first. But oh, for John
1: C. Riley,
0: John C. Riley was an actor's actor. He's a fantastic actor. He'd been in serious, excellent movie roles since the 80s. Mm. And then somewhere around the early 2000s, they finally started putting him in like more comedic stuff. He did some like TV uh, uh, um, sketch comedy shows like Tim and Eric. And then everyone's like, oh, he's really funny. And now that's mostly what he does. <laughs> he's known for
1: being a comedian. It's
0: hilarious. He's great at it, mm. but it's hilarious. Um, so anyway, after all these years of hearing people talk about everything but the sexuality in Forbidden Planet... To watch the sh- the movie specifically for Rocky Horror, everything just gets really heightened. Yeah. Um, the movie begins actually with an incredibly fascinatingly boring sequence. We see a lot of like well, it's, really it's the bridge of the Enterprise sequence yeah. where we're establishing life on the ship. Exactly, we're establishing life on this ship. We're seeing everyone. It's bureaucracy. It's uh, militaristic. Um, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just going about their business, looking over their orders. There's a, there's an interesting bit where they probably put more thought into it than they needed to, where because they were coming out of light speed, they have to like go through some kind of energy process to like,
1: or they have to affect hide it, their metabolism. Hide in, they have to like hide in the, in like green glowing tubes. Um, yeah. I appreciate that. They were trying to think of something kind of science Mm fiction-y, that there's something out in space that you just sort of have to prepare for. It's not going to be, like, on a cruise ship. We're just sort of hanging out. Yeah. But basically, yeah, this is space travel. It's not
0: exciting. It's not, you know, adventurous. It's day-to-day stuff now. And how interesting is it that they're doing all of this boring day-to-day stuff monotony in this incredible environment? The soundstage is amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. We actually see I don't recall seeing this in a movie before this. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. I don't recall seeing an earlier film in which mankind traveled the stars in a flying saucer. Usually oh, the flying saucers were what like the aliens were, were flying in like the day the earth stood still. I don't Silent I recall Earth or something. Yeah, I yeah. recall usually in sci-fi movies that I've seen mankind were in big penisy rockets. <laughs> I mean, correct me if I'm
1: wrong. Yeah, I, I, they were always incredibly phallic. That's yeah. kind of the Point to that design, yeah. but um, but like
0: it, they're they're here in this flying saucer. We we associate flying saucers with futuristic alien stuff. Mm-hmm. Mankind is within them, and they're boring. They've become kind of asexual. It's a bunch of dudes in space just doing their dude work, and then they land on this well, planet. And,
1: and some guys like try to express like some actual character. It's like, oh man, I don't want to go back to the kitchen. And Leslie Nielsen is always quick to put the kibosh on that. Hey, you have to have no character. <laughs> This is the 50s. We don't express ourselves. Um, yeah, Earl Holloman plays the cook, and he is the... He's uh, an he's, he's, the, he's the funny drunk. Yeah. Isn't it funny that he's drunk? I'm just really glad they didn't get, like, an Andy Devine type. Like, oh, somebody would just really oh, plate to the walls. Nails oh, on chalkboard. I'm gonna make this stew. Yeah, there's Band-Aids in it. It's Band-Aid stew. <laughs> we didn't have that scene in Forbidden Planet thank god they land on the Forbidden Planet they're surprised to find out
0: that the planet has people on it they have Dr. Edward Morbius played by the great Walter Pigeon Prospero you you okay there yeah I'm fine okay we've got uh, his daughter Altera (laughs) Miranda played by Anne Francis. you Uh, okay yeah I'm fine fine. okay and of course we've got Robbie the robot Ariel Okay. Uh, (laughs) There's some analogs here. Okay, and Robbie the Robot is played... uh, The body of Robbie the Robot is played by Frankie Darrow. The voice is played by Marvin Miller. If
1: you do not know what Robbie the Robot looks like, yes, you do. (laughs) Robbie the Robot is one of the single most enduring pop culture figures of all time. Yes. Uh, Robbie the Robot, a conical glass dome head, two little eye-like protrusions on either side of it. Mm, That rotate, that look really cool. A a little uh, flashing... Sort of frowny shaped quote mouth, uh, mm-hmm. where that Robbie speaks from. Little bubbly short arms and, and legs, a, uh, bubbly le- long bubbly legs, and the most awkward gait th- mm-hmm. that a robot has ever had in a movie. Uh, and he can—he's the walking uh, food replicator, essentially, like a yeah. goods replicator, like in Star Trek, where they yeah. can replicate stuff. He's super strong, he's super helpful. Mm-hmm. You can You put any substance inside his tummy, and he'll
0: make more of it for you. He lives by Asimov's rule of robotics, where mm-hmm. he can't harm humans. Yep, and if you order him to harm a human, he has to obey your orders, mm. unless it's to harm a human. And if you try to order him to harm a human, he, like, stunlocks. Mm. And there's a gorgeous animated, the, like, the lightning gr- green effect. Green lightning around his head. They actually got animators from Disney on mm-hmm. loan to come in and make the animated effects in this movie, and they look Done. Yeah, the
1: the, fa- the phasers. The I, I think they call them blasters. Mm-hmm. Uh, have like little animated effects. Yeah, and no kick, which I appreciate. It's yeah. like why would a I, I've seen that in like science fiction stories where they hold out their ray guns and they jolt back like their machine guns. It's like it, there's no explosion. It's just it's not an expl- projecting energy. I, I, it's something though. I was watching Forbidden Planet
0: and I was noticing that their ray guns don't have any kick or anything to Ooh. them, and they end up looking kind of kind of wimpy. And and I I don't have to look wimpy. They're efficient. I understand that. Tools. I understand that. But everything else in the movie looks so dynamic and Mm. huge that the fact that their blasters don't is kind of
1: stands out a little bit. Well, the 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 animated bullets or the the energy ray Mm. still looks really impressive. No, it looks kind of like it just looks like dots going across the screen.
0: I kind of wish they'd had more of like Mm. um more of like a crackle, like a Kirby crackle kind of thing going. Mm. Um, it's, it's a, it's a but tiny little nitpick. There's also
1: but. an electric fence that they mm-hmm. set up around their, uh, their flying saucer at mm-hmm. Dr. Morbius insistence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't want the men coming in or out. He doesn't want any interference. He's yeah. very much, he's very much become a recluse. And does why.
0: Dr. Morbius is the last survivor of mm-hmm. a ship called the Bellerathon, which had landed on this planet. And very quickly, everyone except him and his wife was killed by a mysterious force. Mm. And then his wife died. He claims that was of natural causes. And now it's just been him, his daughter, and Robbie the Robot this whole time. And he has been spending this whole time, as we eventually learn. He's very secretive about it. We eventually learn that he has been studying an ancient,
1: incredibly advanced Uh, alien species. That was wiped out off of the surface of this planet like 200,000 years ago. Yeah, called the Krell.
0: He has been translating the works of the Krell and using their technology to build Robbie the robot and keep him and his daughter alive. And he's been doing this in secrecy and seclusion because he believes that mankind is
1: not ready for the many gifts of the Krell. Uh, the, the Krell their technology is just so far beyond. It's psychically controlled. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really notable. He puts his brain into it and not only does it follow his thoughts, but it also like enhances his brain to match. Yeah. And he said the first time he tried it, it knocked him out for like a day and a half. Cause it was too much for his brain to take.
0: Yeah. So he has become uh, artificially, supernaturally mm. intelligent. Thanks to yeah, all good. the sci-fi devices. Mm. So he is concerned that with a, with all of these men on the planet, they're going to go after his, his teenage daughter, mm. which they do immediately. They are shameless about this. One,
1: There's like one, one guy like corners her and says, "Let me teach you about kissing." Yeah, because she doesn't know what a kiss is. Yeah,
0: it's just like, oh yes, I'm just kidding. Kissing is something everyone does just for. For exercise and It's
1: a friendly bonding biolog- biological uh-huh. vex. Which is extremely
0: yeah. creepy The whole mm. scene is extremely creepy Also there are people who are talking about Like the first time she walks into the room and-, and Morbius is just like Daughter I told you not to come in for dinner And she's like oh but dinner is over You didn't say I couldn't come in for coffee <laughs> mm-hmm. And Morbius is just like Oh God, please let them be polite. <laughs> and then they come in and they just and one like I think and it was the doctor who immediately runs over to her. They're about sixty percent polite. They're they are and they aren't <laughs> because first off they they're ogling her right in front of her dad mm. and they say like we haven't seen a woman in in a year and a half and right now the view looks great and i'm like <laughs> you're like- talking to her dad uh, and the dad says i kn- wait what yeah really fucking weird also one guy just immediately takes her over to the side and he's there with leslie Nielsen and his captain and he says hey you notes know, nice to meet you i I'm Steve, the astronaut, or whatever the fuck he says. <laughs> Steve, the astronaut. You know, Steve. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and uh, I just want to let you know that, uh, you know, I'm here. I'm ready to take care of anything you want me to take care of. But um, I wouldn't trust the captain. Why not? Well... He can't be trusted around women. He yep, seduces everybody. Whatever you do, don't let yourself be alone with the captain. Mm-hmm. Which is...
1: A really creepy thing to tell somebody. It It's creepy that that is his, like, fallback pickup line. Yeah, I'm the
0: only person on this ship who mm-hmm. won't try to attack you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What? What a horrible, horrible thing. And so later on, when, the, I think it's the same guy, but one of them is, like, there and she, they're kissing her. And she has no reaction
1: Like, it's not very interesting. And in those scenes, I was thinking, wait a minute. (laughs) Because I'm thinking of Rocky Horror while I'm watching this. Uh And Rocky Horror is unabashedly queer. Mm -hmm. None of the men in this film have any kind of chemistry, sexual or otherwise, with one another. Like, you can tell Mm -hmm. they're crewmates. But the homoeroticism is just. There's, there's just no bone physical dry. intimacy yeah. on even a casual level. Yeah, there's no, it's very none of stoic. that, uh, what they call homosocial, yeah. uh, where guys are. Just get comfortable with each really other. really physical yeah. and they do co- things that are sexual around one another, even though they're not having sex with one another. Yeah. Uh, no, there's none of that in Forbidden Planet. A man slimes his way up to Anne Francis and says, I'm going to kiss you. And he starts kissing her and uh, kissing her over and over again. And she's sort of like they're. No, 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 not feeling it Not feeling it I have expected her to say Do you have any women on board? Uh Yeah, Yeah, or I I expected her to
0: be kind of asexual And that's interesting Mm. to me Because the people on Forbidden Planet I mean, yeah, they've been living in isolation But Mm. they all have distinct reactions to this So Morbius gets protective and jealous It makes sense, he's her dad She is curious but also unimpressed yeah And one of the first things they do when Robbie shows up in, like, a little, like, golf cart, space golf cart to, like, Mm. pick him up and take them to Morbius's dwelling. They notice, oh, it's a robot. How interesting. And one of them actually says, is it a boy robot or a girl robot? Mm. To which Robbie himself replies, hold on, I wrote it down, uh, uh... (laughs) Actually, I forgot to write down the quote, but he basically just says, that's irrelevant with me. He basically refuses to be gendered Mm -hmm. because that's not what we're about here. You're bringing the sexuality here.
1: We are not living a sexual experience, which is, of course, the opposite of Rocky Horror. And and, uh, it's the opposite of Rocky Horror, and that ends up being part of the theme we were talking about earlier, about how people are really vicious and libidinous on the inside. Yeah. Uh, And the phrase, monsters from the id... Uh, Is mentioned. Yeah. And I I love when they mention uh, the id and they react to that. What is the id? Oh it's this no longer applicable really dated psychological term that nobody thinks about anymore. Which is actually like so in this future Freudianism Mm -hmm. which correlates everything back to sex and sexuality Mm -hmm. is gone. And that's also a really clever,
0: like storytelling trope where you're writing something in the future, Mm. but you still have to explain something that not everyone in the audience might be familiar with, but people in the future probably would be. So you just write that in. It's been disproven Mm. or we've moved past it or something. And that way you still have an excuse to explain something to someone to say, it's archaic. So let me give you a quick gist about what a
1: Betamax was like that kind of thing. (laughs) The id is the Betamax of psychology. I love when they get it slightly wrong, like in a comedy film, like Futurama. Yeah. Like, time for the mammoth hunt, dudes! Wait, mammoths are extinct. Uh, <laughs> um, or uh, in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. This is called a Zune. Everybody on Earth is using them now. <laughs> <laughs> that was that one was cute. Yeah. Uh, Leslie Nielsen
0: finds Anne Francis in full makeout mode with one of his... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, his underlings, is, is, his, I, one I, of his officers. I don't know officers. Thank yeah. you. I wanted at first I thought cast members, and I'm like, that's not. Right. A, he doesn't <laughs> work for Disneyland. Yeah. Uh, but he finds out <laughs> not he, employees
1: or cast and members. He,
0: and he like, and the guy's like, oh, I wasn't doing nothing, mm-hmm. Captain. And he walks away. And Leslie Nielsen in pure asshole mode blames Anne Francis for dressing provocatively. Mm. And he goes on a speech about how listen, let's not let's not punish women for dressing badly. Let's teach men Thank not you. to hurt women. Because here's the th- yeah, this is Good really fucking God. annoying here because he tells her she needs to dress more modestly mm. and he fr- he frames it this way. And at least it stems from character. He's got all of these horny, horny bored men, yeah. And that's his responsibility, is to keep them horny and bored. Like, they should not be, like... Mm. They shouldn't be actually engaging in anything. They need, yeah. they need to be focused on their job right now. And, like, listen, you're just... You're making my job so hard. To which Anne Francis, understandably, thinks, he's a
1: fucking asshole and this is not my fault. Mm. And... Yeah, she's on to him. Yeah, she gets she's it. She's on to everything. Yeah. I, I oh, love that, like, she's... She's treated as an innocent, but she's way smarter than any of those guys. She's incredibly intelligent. She's mm. pretty open about what
0: she wants. She's young and naive, and that is something that allows her to be exploited. Mm. And that it get, brings it into weird territory. But she's not just naive. There is more going on with her character, and we can appreciate that. Um, later on, she uh, ends up uh, having Robbie make her a more
1: classical dress. To appease Mm. Leslie Nielsen. Which she's excited about because she likes, you know, designing and thinking of things that Robbie can make. Yeah, she's very creative. Mm.
0: Uh, So she comes up with a new dress that will appeal to Leslie Nielsen's desire that she show less skin, Mm. but will also be very, very sexy and maybe get her some Leslie Nielsen. Uh, Leslie Nielsen finally caves and starts making out with her. At which point, I forgot to mention this earlier, we saw that there are actually like lion, like uh tigers, there are tigers, and there are like deer and a few other like earth animals on this planet. Mm. They're all very, very tame, and they treat uh uh Anne Francis like one of the pack. And as soon as she starts making out with Leslie Nielsen and enjoying it, <laughs> the tiger turns on her <laughs> because she is no longer innocent. Because she has been expelled from the Garden of Eden the Literal is, Garden of Eden This is
1: actually not a very subtle film uh, No, it's not
0: no. <laughs> uh, Meanwhile in an, A giant invisible monster And I know that sounds weird To focus on the fact that it's giant if you can't see it But it's huge Has started breaking in Behind the, elect- the, the electrified perimeter And initially Breaking
1: stuff on the ship mm. And then Killing people and, and they don't and know what it is. It leaves behind footprints, but nobody can see it. And there's a really awesome shot of the footprints appearing in the sand. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a pretty simple effect if you have a, a soundstage. Yeah. You just put sand on a, an elevated platform mm-hmm. uh, with... a. Uh, like little sinkholes underneath the stage in mm. footprint shape, and all you got to do and is just take yeah. whatever the tarp is, put dirt on whatever it is, mm. and, and then, then just, just yeah, drop. Just it. pull it down as as the yeah. footprints go. They did mm-hmm. that in the Invisible Man back in the '30s. Yeah, it's a good uh, gag though. It it's, works. It's a good gag. It's, it just re- looks really, really cool. They're able to extrapolate what the monster's foot would look like, and it doesn't. It doesn't adhere foot, to any ecological yeah. or environmental or e-
0: evolutionary thing they've ever seen.
1: It looks a lot like the Cathoga from that movie, The Relic. Oh, okay. I was actually... Like, it's got, a, like, a, a big wide head and, t- like, t- and the monster in Forbidden Planet will, when we see it, it has, like, sort of, like, these big fangs. It's sort of gorilla-like, mm-hmm. but uh, and, well, we it see... ha- it's also, like, quadrupedal, I think. We,
0: we see it in an interesting way. Like, we see it through the, like, electric, the electrified fence as yeah. it walks through it. And when it walks through it, we can see these, like, animated... Jolts of electricity That then become the outline of the creature And then we can see it move in animation And it is gorgeous mm. And then in a really cool shot It picks up a guy That guy gets set on fire While it picks it up And then it slams him to the ground all in one shot Which is really cool looking for 1950s mm. Hell for now It looks really really cool Um. So anyway There's this giant invisible monster that's attacking them there is actually a scene in this, and this isn't Rocky Horror, but it is very influential on another super popular film. And until I watched it this time, I didn't realize, oh, James Cameron ripped this fucking off.
1: <laughs> because there's a scene
0: with all these military guys, and they've set up a perimeter, and they've got these like big you know, cannons that are like on mounts or whatever. Mm. And they're just waiting for the, for the alien to attack, and they've got it pinged on a radar, and they see that it's here. But it, we don't see it. We should see it It's right next to us How are we not seeing it Oh god there it is Open fire Totally the scene from Aliens Mm. Totally that scene from Aliens (laughs) Except they weren't in ducts Mm. Admittedly part of that scene Was inspired by an earlier scene From Alien but writ large But still The Forbidden Planet Is all over That bit in Aliens Actually, Forbidden Planet is all over aliens anyway. Because what happens? They go into this planet to colonize it, and it turns out there are ancient aliens that are there, and they kill everybody. And a bunch of Space Marines show up, and mm. they find like one surviving, you know,
1: young girl. Mm-hmm. Like it's all in there. <laughs> um, well, and, and a- the original draft of Alien was meant to be more of a B picture. Yeah, they were writing something that was going to be shot like for real cheap for mm-hmm. Corman. They were just going to make a few bucks from it. And somehow, uh, like, a lot of more creative people got their hands on it and turned into what it turned into. It's Kismet, is what it Mm was. Uh, Eventually, Leslie Nielsen and his
0: doctor decide that what they need to do in order to defeat this monster is to sneak into Dr. Morbius' lab and use the brain-accelerating machine to make themselves smarter. Mm -hmm. The doctor sneaks off and uses it first, and when he emerges, just before he dies from the mental strain... He says it's monsters from the id. And Leslie Nielsen finally figures out, okay, here's what happened. The Krell, and we learned that the Krell were inventing technology that would make basically whatever they
1: thought reality. It would basically free them Mm -hmm. from the bonds of physicality. They'd be able to uh, operate, run, and just sort of create out of energy Mm -hmm. uh, anything that they thought about. Uh, And in this city that was left behind, that was designed to be indefinite.
0: Yeah, and to last forever, and it would have been perfect. But <laughs> Problem is, they didn't factor in that their minds, even as alien beings who were more enlightened and more intelligent than us, still
1: had ugly things in them. Yeah. And, and that, was their, that was their flaw. They yeah. thought they were perfect. They thought they had gotten rid of all of the darkness.
0: Yeah, but it was but still, it was still in us.
1: there somewhere, and when you
0: gave your brain the power to manifest literally anything in it, Eventually, it's going to get to the bad stuff, and the bad stuff destroyed them. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that Dr. Morbius, in using this device, has done the same thing. And he manifested a monster literal monster. Uh, you don't want to do a cough Tempest reference?
1: Oh, uh, cough, Caliban <laughs> monster. That's
0: yeah, Caliban. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I, would, I left you an opening. Okay. Uh, and uh, he manifested this monster without even consciously realizing it, mm-hmm. and it killed the entire crew so that he could stay. And then when people came in to not only take his research, potentially, uh, not only to take him away from this planet, but also to take his daughter in, you know, a variety of ways, possibly just Mm. physically remove her from the planet, possibly, you know, put another, like, you know, distract her loyalties from her dad.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, He had the exact same ugly thoughts and they manifested and they created a monster and they destroyed everything. And I mean a lot of things, because there's a lot of destruction, a lot of cool... They do a lot of good setups where they show, like, here's how indestructible this material is, and all the walls are made of it, so we're totally secure forever. And then later on in the film, when the monster from Morbius' id is melting it, you realize, oh shit, this thing's kind of unstoppable, isn't Mm. it? (laughs)
1: That's good stuff. Uh, There's an an old horror rule that if you're shooting a horror film on a budget and you need a killer to like swing around a wooden machete or whatever. Mm-hmm. Always like you have a real machete on set and then you have to show it cutting something mm-hmm. before you switch to the wooden one so it looks yeah. like a real weapon. We have to believe in the reality of this thing and that's easier to do
0: with something so, that we're familiar with like a machete mm-hmm. than it is
1: Something uh, fictional, something sci-fi. But they they did establish that. Uh, They did the same thing in the Dune movie. Ah. There's a a scene, yeah, where Dr. Morbius goes up to this door. He's like, hey, shoot it with your ray gun. Shoot, like, at its hottest setting. And he shoots the ray gun at the door, and they go up and feel it, and it's not even warm. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that. So, yeah, when it melts down, it's like, oh, now we know how strong it is. Yeah. There was that that scene in Dune where he's like, here's this stone. It's the hardest substance you ever know. Hit it and try cutting it with one of your cutting tools. And I'm going to blow it up with my weirding module. And it just explodes. Yeah. It's like, that's how strong this thing is. It's pretty cool. Mm. Um, So
0: Morbius ends mm. up dying to save them all from the monster. And uh they end up running away. And Morbius, realizing that no one, not even he, the vaunted mm. Morbius... Is capable of keeping their mind in check. Mm. He just he
1: elects to blow up the planet. Mm. I shall take my. I shall break my staff and bury it, etc., yeah. etc. Cetera, et cetera. It's the only way to be sure. I made a Shakespeare reference. You made an alien reference. Hey, no, aliens, uh, aliens reference. Okay, same thing. Uh Well, they
0: both they're both influenced. Well, Shakespeare influenced Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet influenced Aliens. It all works
1: out. Well, we- Forbidden Planet is The Tempest, in case you hadn't uh, picked up on our... uh, Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about... Because
0: I actually put this on my list, if you've been listening to all our other podcasts. Uh, We did an Iron List about a month or two ago. Mm. It was two months ago now, where uh, we did the best Shakespeare movies ever. And this made my list of the best Shakespeare movies, because I think this is one of the better attempts to modernize Shakespeare for a new Mm. cinematic lexicon. Um, We've seen a lot of people do it real bad. We've seen a lot of people do it pretty well, and I don't think anyone's ever really done better than Forbidden Planet at taking out the language and leaving mm. in the cool stuff and finding a new and exciting way to present it.
1: Yeah. I didn't see Mazursky's Tempest. Did you get to that one? Oh, no. I really yeah. wanted to, though. I saw. Um, I've heard it's quite bad. Uh, I saw
0: Derek Jarman's, and I couldn't get into it. Okay. I appreciated what he was going for, but I didn't think it worked dramatically. Um, but, and I know, of course, we saw Julie Taymor's, which. Mm. Has some ambitious elements, but doesn't quite work either. The Tempest isn't a great play, if I'm being perfectly honest. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's better than anything I'll ever write, but compared to other Shakespeare stuff, it's not in the upper echelon. It,
1: it is. It just you need a good direction uh, on it. Um, I, I haven't seen too many good productions of The Tempest, yeah. actually. But yeah, I—Julie Taymor actually did. Uh, I got to see a a filmed version of one she did on stage, which was better than the movie she did. I don't know what happened, that she turned the movie into something that was kind of boring to look at. Mm. Whereas, you know, her stage version was actually very innovative. Um, But yeah, we we have a science fiction version of The Tempest now. And The Tempest is well-suited to science fiction because it's a magical play. It is about entering this world of magic where things, you know, the story of The Tempest is... Prospero uh, crash lands on this island years before where he finds uh, magical staffs and like a book of spells, raises a young daughter there, uh, gains cohorts in some of the ethereal beings that live there. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's Ariel, who's sort of a a spirit of the air. A sprite. Yeah, and who who like comes and goes and is invisible to some of the characters. And there's there's Caliban, who's sort of this hairy brute from the earth and is, is very, very physical. And the story is uh, Prospero's old rival from his old life is sailing by on a ship. He creates a tempest using magic to get him to crash land on the ship so he can wreak revenge. And, but there's, he and the rival are separated for the bulk of the play. Yeah, it's weird. And over the course of them being lost and him sort of toying with them, he realizes that he doesn't care anymore yeah. and he doesn't get revenge. And it's about him just sort of calming down and being a better man. Which is, which you could argue is not unlike a storm mm. in that it's all a big
0: whole bunch of storminess and then it kind of dissipates and we're all just sort of like, oh, thank God, well, that's over.
1: This is a, a play Shakespeare wrote closer to the end of his career. Yeah. And uh, as such, I think he was getting a little bit more reflective over, it's like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. on a revenge story. No, I'm too old for it. <laughs> I, I can't... <laughs> I can't do this sort of, like, hot-headed revenge yeah. stuff. I'm not 21. So, yeah, it's it's yeah. A, it's clearly written from the pr- perspective of somebody who is a little bit over it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that doesn't quite read in Forbidden Planet. Well, that's not really...
0: Because it's, it's not from Dr. Morbius's perspective. Right. I think if it had been, maybe we would have gotten more of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe we would have seen what Leslie Nielsen's character represented to Dr. Morbius, but it's because it's from the perspective of Leslie Nielsen and his crew more than anything else. There's this element of a discovery of what Morbius slash Prospero have been doing. And we get more of that contrast between here's someone who has been living in isolation with great powers and who maybe they're not like a quote unquote mad scientist, but their connection to Humanity has largely been severed Mm. and we can no longer really speak on the same terms and that leads to conflict and eventually death. Mm. I think it's actually a very strong rewrite and I think it keeps the majority of the stuff in there. It just isn't from Prospero's perspective anymore. Mm. Um, Forbidden Planet was a trailblazing film in a variety of ways. Uh, In addition to just Using material like storytelling material that hadn't been commonplace, like a sci fi film that never takes place on Earth, uh, faster than light space travel that is treated like the, the military. And again, there have been like kids' shows that have done stuff like this, but in terms of like this scale, mm. it's all very novel. It is a gorgeous Technicolor presentation big, epic, widescreen, matte paintings everywhere you look,
1: and they are all gorgeous and otherworldly. And uh, the thing that really sells it for me, though, is the score. Uh, The score is not traditional musical instruments. It's a lot of electronic noises and uh, sound effects that really inform the scenes. And it's like these weird echoing, dripping noises, a lot of weird electronic whines, rarely incorporated with a traditional orchestra. Yeah. It's not like the day the earth stood still where it was a traditional orchestra, but they added some ethereal effects like the theremins. Mm -hmm. Um, This one is just those eerie sound effects and it makes it seem really distant, really far away and super alien. Mm -hmm. And the sound effects reminded me of the movie fantastic planet, which is another one of the best science fiction movies ever made an animated film from France from the seventies, which is, Pure science fiction through and through, it takes place who knows when, who knows, like, we know the name of the planet, but we don't know, like, where it is or how people got there, if the people-looking things in it are even humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's about uh, gargantuan, 50-foot-tall, blue aliens, and they're little, itty-bitty, tiny, mouse-sized pets, which are, they look human. Yeah. But nobody says human, nobody refers to you There's, Earth, uh, old Earth or new Earth or humanity or, or anything that like that. Or that they may have kidnapped them from yeah. Earth or whatever.
0: They never explicitly say, but it's clearly us.
1: It, they yeah. look like us, so that's yeah. like what we're meant to relate to.
0: And ultimately, it's a big allegory for, oh man, we really are rude to our pets.
1: It's, it Well, I would say it's a class metaphor, but okay Well, it's that too
0: <laughs> It is, though it's, yeah. about, it's about what happens when we dehumanize And exactly. when we look at things that we dehumanize And picture them as humans mm. Whether it's class or whether it's mm. just, you know The family dog or whatever You all of a sudden start to realize That our behaviors are not altogether moral mm-hmm. And uh, we are enormous hypocrites It's a great movie Uh, the score for Love Forbidden Planet was done by B.B. and Lewis Barron. This is the first, to the best of my knowledge, electronic score, all electronic score for Uh, a movie.
1: I'm pretty sure
0: it is. They were pioneers in electronic music. And the music here is fascinating because it's actually, in many respects, amelodic. It's not really... There isn't really like a lot of conventional or themes as we've come to know them. It actually just feels like all of the equipment... Which is ubiquitous, mm. makes odd noises, and sometimes it feels like they're screaming at you. It's an environment of tonality,
1: mm. it's more
0: uh, more more mood than yeah. than uh, emotion. And there's still nothing. There's still nothing quite like it. Like we, there's not like a whole bunch of movie scores that sound like this today. It's very distinct. Mm. It's very exciting, and it is completely otherworldly. In a really beautiful way. Uh, once again, the matte paintings are gorgeous. The animation is gorgeous. The set design is really impressive and innovative. It's colorful. Uh, the costumes are distinct. Mm. Everything about this movie is kind of awesome. <laughs> like, if you made this movie today, you would probably have to say, like, oh, we made it kind of retro. But other mm. than that, people would be like, wow, what a distinct vision. Mm someone had this is not stuff that is old
1: hat now well, it was so influential that a lot of the structure was taken. Like we mentioned the Star Trek influence mm-hmm. already. And, you know, yeah, it this totally of- is a Star Trek episode. Yeah, uh, But uh, th- that very look, when we refer to now retrofuturism, we're talking about this movie mostly. Mostly, yeah. Uh, and maybe like some Flash Gordon stuff. Oh, well, this There's, island this- earth once lo- they get to Metaluna. Like, art-, yeah. art Deco stuff. Yeah. Uh, there was a Zsa Zsa Gabor movie called Queen of Outer Space, oh, yeah. which reused these costumes, like these exact costumes. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, the one that Leslie Neels war they just gave it to a new cast and, that's funny i didn't know, you know that one. They, they went to the and that's another like pornographic fantasy movie because mm. they go to like the planet of the women and they're run by josh gabor's sister not ava gabor but her character's sister ah, okay and uh yeah josh gabor is the one who's gonna save them all and it's <laughs> like oh no what are we gonna do we, I, we have to we the four men on this planet have to seduce these hundreds of women and take some of them with us and what we, a tragedy! Yeah, it's like. That's what Amazon Women on the Moon was a spoof of. Yeah, that's a funny movie. Uh, but yeah, all, all this sort of uh, futurist technology that looks kind of hokey to the modern eye, mm-hmm. and was certainly hokey uh, in the mid-70s by the time Rocky Horror Picture Show started banking on a lot of that imagery, mm-hmm. uh, was, yeah, this was when it was new. This was when it was fresh. And if you can look at it through those eyes, you'll realize, wait a minute, this is actually a really cool design. Yep. That's why a lot of these things persisted. Um, going to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, yep. uh, more than just the marrying of horniness and science fiction, which is a very general, <laughs> uh, very we're gonna, ge- we're general gonna, influence. If
0: we're looking at that as a theme, we're going to be watching a lot of those
1: yeah. on episode zero. <laughs> But there are a lot of, uh, uh, like, little bits of iconography throughout. The scene at the end where Frank is doing the floor show Mm -hmm. and Riff and Magenta break in in their cross between Forbidden Planet and, like, drag underwear Mm -hmm. fetish outfits. Yeah. Like, they're sort of gold. They got the big gloves and the gold, but they're also both wearing garter belts. Yeah. And they have, like, a laser gun with a little lightning bolt on it, and it shoots animated uh, lasers at Frank. Straight out of Forbidden Planet. Yeah, that, that's straight up Forbidden Planet. Even, yeah. even the effect. Yeah. And they shoot him off the RKO logo. This is not an RKO film. This was uh, an uh, MGM film. Or right. was it a Fox film? Uh, M- this
0: was MGM. MGM film. That's right. MGM. About. Okay. Uh, but also just basic plot elements. Again, mm. uh, you know, it's not just about being horny. It's actually about a juxtaposition. Uh, in both films, this kind of square group ends up inside Mm -hmm. in an isolated place with a bunch of mad scientists who challenge their perception and uh, their view of the world. Whereas in Forbidden Planet, the mad scientists think of themselves as above sexuality and above human weakness. Mm. Except for the alcoholic, who gets more booze at the first available opportunity. Granted, but that's considered, you know, just like a sailor thing. But Mm. regardless, yes, they consider themselves kind
1: of, you know, we're, we're moral. We're we're correct. They, they they're the crew of the Enterprise, yeah. who are uh, living in an enlightened society, exactly, f- more or less. And,
0: and they run s- into
1: somebody who's even more who thinks they're even more enlightened than they are. And of course,
0: they reject that. And one of the things that they discover right away is actually they have more overt human frailties, hmm. and they are more prone to very human kinds of mistakes and hmm. very human uh, uh, desires and weaknesses. Um, in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Brad and Janet, yeah, they represent that kind of square, bureaucratic, empty sort of. We we are, uh, uh we're from Denton, you know. If you listen to that song from Shock Treatment about how its squareness is the perfect America, mm. and then of course they go to a castle full of horny people. And uh, then they find out that, oh, we don't know anything about anything, do we? And also, y'all are kinky as hell, and we're kind of fine with that.
1: Well, the, they, they try to back
0: out at first. At They're first, sort of but like eventually they embrace out, yeah. it, and they, it challenges who they are, and at the end, they don't know anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Forbidden Planet ultimately just says, well, it's a good thing we're better than all of that. Mm. But in reality, what we discovered is that we don't know anything. We don't know anything. We don't know, we don't know how to overcome our demons We don't know how to make the world a better place. We can improve technology, but ultimately we are still ourselves. And there's something incredibly potent about that. Yeah. And that, again, it ends up taking on this very fable-like quality, this larger-than-life quality uh, that I think lingers. And there are elements of it that are kind of weird now. There are elements of it that are still kind of revolutionary. And boy, does
1: it play. (laughs) <laughs> what a, it's a great movie It still if you, works out There are some yeah. corny elements yeah, but of course uh, there are I mean, that's just a, a result of when it came out Yeah, genre films of the 50s are, have are certain a elements a little bit dated But yeah, yeah um, It mostly holds up
0: yeah. And it's really, really interesting And again, if you haven't seen it in a long time Or if you didn't think you were going to see it And now you've read our episode Give it a try Please mm. give it a try It's a very influential, very significant film uh, And I think it will unlock a lot of doors in film history for you and that is episode zero. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with a double feature. That's right. Not a, And not a science fiction double feature. No, actually, because although uh, Rocky Picture Show was obviously influenced by science fiction, it's influenced by other things as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things that is specifically name-checked in Rocky Horror are Steve Reeves' movies. If you don't know who Steve Reeves was, he was a bodybuilder who eventually became... Hercules in a series of Italian Peplum films. Peplum is basically sword and sandal ancient Greek adventure stories. Mm. Uh, and Steve Mo- Reeves is mostly,
1: Her- mostly Italian.
0: Mostly Italian. Yeah. Steve Reeves's Hercules movies are very famous for being exceptionally queer,
1: they have uh, a lot of subtext. Sometimes yeah, just and, and we'll, we'll talk about sort of bodybuilder culture and mm-hmm. uh, and how it s- pretty much was a one hundred percent overlap with queer culture at the there, back in the in yeah the there 1950s. was a, there was a
0: time when it was difficult to buy magazines with like shirtless sexy men.
1: Well, just, uh, except for and, bodybuilding magazines. Any 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 pornography at all. Right. But was, my point is that you could get a bodybuilding places. magazine
0: and it would sort of, that was what mm. you could get. Yeah. And as a result, I and mean, I've seen documentaries about this, it was it has an, an interesting place in the history of queer culture. And there was an entire successful movie genre that covered that whole, uh, 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 what's mm. the what I'm looking for? Subculture? Subculture. Right. <laughs> uh, of bodybuilding and also... Mm. Uh, uh, queer culture and um, they're interesting several of them have been covered on Mystery Science Theater 3000 so a lot of you might be somewhat familiar with them Uh, but we're going to take a look at them as they are no Mm. commentary we're just going to watch the Mm. actual film straight as it were and we're going to yes (laughs) we're going to be watching the original Hercules and it's follow up Hercules Unchained uh, and I uh, actually, I don't know where those are available right now. We can get them
1: mm. from a local video store called Cinephile. Yeah, we have them at our local video store. Um, I, I'm, I think they're in the public domain. You can probably find them on YouTube or something. And even if you can't, just go to the Shout Factory TV mm. uh, streaming channel and you can watch the Mystery Science Theater version to at least yeah. get a taste of what we're talking you'll, you'll about.
0: You'll get the gist. Yeah. You'll get the gist of it. Um, so that is what is coming up mm. next week on this show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Uh, Hercules Unchained is on Amazon Prime. Okay, and I suspect Hercules is as well, although I haven't looked that one up yet. Her- I figured Hercules Unchained would be easier to find since there's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of movies called Hercules. Um, so uh, Hercules Unchained is Amazon Prime, <laughs> yeah. Lou yeah. Ferrigno version, which is also incredible. Uh, and uh, Hercules 1958 is on Amazon for rent. Oh, okay, so you do have to, uh, pay but they, they are box, they okay. are accessible, very accessible. Okie dokie, that's that Uh, Of course we thank you for listening A very special thank you to all of our patrons Over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network Without your contributions None of our shows would exist We would not be able to dedicate the time to it so we're incredibly grateful to you. Thank you so much for everything that you do for us. Uh, if you want to join up, patreon.com slash you can vote for future episodes of our podcasts, and you get a ton of exclusive content, including podcasts about the 1960s Batman, podcasts about every single episode of Star Trek ever made, podcasts about Disney, podcasts about the Oscars, commentary tracks, and more. Uh, we and also more and more and more ah, My head will explode uh, We also have a, a, a letters show We've got mail You can write in letters at criticallyacclaimed.net If you want to talk about Forbidden Planet Anything discussed in this episode Or anything at all really We might read your letter in an upcoming We've Got Mail We're also on Twitter at criticacclaim I am at William Bibbiani I'm at Whitney Seibold And uh, I see you shiver with Antissa